This program is brought to you by Preserve Gold, the number one precious metals IRA provider. Call 855-962-3322. Caught on camera, video shows a Chinese fighter jet passing right in front of a U.S. plane's nose. The U.S. calling it an unnecessarily aggressive maneuver by the Chinese jet during an intercept over the South China Sea. China fighting back, saying the U.S. intruded on their space. This comes as China's defense minister refuses to speak with his U.S. counterpart. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Close encounters thousands of feet in the sky. U.S. Indo-Pacific Command says a Chinese fighter jet performed an unnecessarily aggressive move while intercepting a U.S. spy plane Friday. Here's a look at the J-16 aircraft from the perspective on board the U.S. RC-135 reconnaissance aircraft. The two planes are in international airspace over the South China Sea. Video shows the Chinese jet cutting in front of the nose of the American aircraft, forcing it to fly through turbulence. China's military says the U.S. reconnaissance plane deliberately intruded into its training area, adding the move seriously undermined regional peace and stability. China claims jurisdiction over much of the sea, but international law considers it open airspace. The U.S. military command saying in a statement, the United States will continue to fly, sail and operate safely and responsibly wherever international law allows. This comes as China's Defense Minister Li Shanfu continues to refuse to speak with Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, despite repeated U.S. requests in recent months. The U.S. sanctioning individuals in China and Mexico. That's for alleged involvement in the illegal fentanyl trade. The U.S. singling out 17 people and entities in the move. They're being accused of enabling counterfeit fentanyl-laced pill production. The businesses and people are allegedly linked to the sale of pill press machines. The machines can impress counterfeit trademarkers onto illicitly produced pills often laced with fentanyl and destined for the United States. How do these sanctions help end this epidemic? Well, uh, first of all, I've got to say it's, it's a good step forward by this administration uh, to do these uh, and impose these sanctions, uh, something that I've been calling for for a long time. Uh, and it's a good step forward. It doesn't, in my opinion, go far enough. Uh, these are sanctions against certain individuals <clears throat> and certain businesses but it's, they're not sanctions against the governments themselves. That's where I think with the administration would be a, a much bigger impact if you actually place sanctions on the government of Mexico and, of course, the government of China, because we know that they're, they're both in connection, responsible for that fentanyl coming into our, our country. The Treasury Department also tasked another team with going after the money laundering that's involved. It's an industry worth billions, often benefiting cartels. There's also the massive human cost. The rate of drug overdose deaths involving fentanyl more than tripled in the United States from 2016 through 2021, with over 100,000 Americans dying from overdoses last year, according to the CDC, most stemming from fentanyl. As Beijing's tensions with the U.S. and European Union bubble up, Communist leader Xi Jinping is issuing a stern warning to China's top national security officials. Prepare for the worst.
How does the comment relate to the fallout of the U.S.-China rivalry? And is China also facing other crises? Let's dive in. Xi's remarks come as he chaired the National Security Commission meeting on Tuesday. In it, he put the issue of national security high on the agenda, urging officials to be ready for, quote, worst-case scenarios and prepare to withstand even dangerous storms. According to a report by state news agency Xinhua, she said the country is facing dramatically increased security challenges. He warns officials must stay keenly aware of the complicated circumstances. This isn't the first time she's highlighted China's security challenges. But the latest, and probably his most stern directive, comes as Beijing grapples with a host of challenges, ranging from a struggling economy to what it sees as an increasingly hostile international environment. In March, she criticized Washington for being the culprit of the West's so-called suppression of China. The U.S.-China rivalry expands on numerous fronts, from the escalating tech war to geopolitical disputes over Taiwan and the South China Sea. In turn, both sides have stepped up national security scrutiny. The U.S. imposed sanctions on a slew of Chinese companies, and China restricted its purchases of U.S. chipmaker Micron. Beijing is also facing challenge in Europe. Earlier this month, the European Union's foreign policy chief said China-EU relations would be critically affected if Beijing did not press Russia to withdraw from Ukraine. On the domestic front, Beijing is pouring a lot of resources into suppressing any perceived political threats, with spending on police for in-person protests and censorship for criticism online. China affairs analyst Tang Jingyuan says Xi's warning of the worst-case scenarios and dangerous storms ahead might include a war over Taiwan. But he notes that this could also indicate a severe international crisis within the Chinese Communist Party that may threaten its rule. A former New York Police Department sergeant facing trial Wednesday with two other men. Prosecutors accused them of harassing Chinese fugitives living in the U.S. NTD's Jason Perry brings us the latest. Opening arguments are being heard at the Brooklyn Federal Courthouse. Three men are accused of acting as illegal agents for China. They're accused of pressuring a New Jersey resident to return to China to face embezzlement and bribery charges. All three men pleaded not guilty. The names of the defendants are Zhang So Ying. Ju Young and Michael McMahon, a former New York City policeman who was working as a private investigator. Prosecutors say Ju and others in 2016 hired McMahon to watch and investigate Xu Jin, a former Chinese Communist Party official who has lived in the United States since 2010. Prosecutors said Zhang in 2018 left a handwritten note on Xu's door, which read in Chinese, if you are willing to go back to the mainland and spend 10 years in prison, your wife and children will be all right. In opening statements before a federal jury, McMahon's lawyer said his client was told he was working for a Chinese construction company trying to recover assets, and he alerted local law enforcement of his activities. The lawyer said if he's secretly acting on behalf of the Chinese government, is he going to call the cops and tell them he had no idea, none, that he was working for China? But a prosecutor said McMahon met a Chinese official during the course of his work, saying, McMahon knew this was not the true reason. He looked the other way. Lawyers for Zhu and Zhang, both Chinese citizens and New York City residents, also said their clients didn't know they were working for China. 
Prosecutors explained that this was part of the Chinese Communist Party's or CCP's worldwide operation to bring alleged fugitives back to China. And that campaign is known as Operation Fox Hunt. Last month, federal prosecutors filed another case at the Brooklyn Federal Courthouse. Two New York City men are accused of operating an underground Chinese police station in Manhattan's Chinatown. Jason Perry, NTD News, New York. The U.S. and Europe are converging on their China views. That's according to U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken. While speaking at the EU-U.S. Trade and Technology Council in Sweden, Blinken said that the West isn't seeking to isolate China, but rather to sustain relations without supporting developments that could pose a threat to their national security. Blinken also said the U.S. and EU are working closely to diversify supply chains, adding that neither the U.S. nor Europe support decoupling from China, but they are in favor of de-risking. The idea of de-risking was first brought up by EU President von der Leyen back in March. It sought to urge European nations to reduce economic dependency on China, especially on critical goods like rare earth minerals. As of now, both the U.S. and Europe rely heavily on China for manufacturing those materials. The nation currently accounts for 85 percent of rare earth processing in the world. Now we turn to the Middle East. Saudi Arabia appears to be strengthening its ties with China. It's reportedly in talks with the New Development Bank, a Shanghai-based bank also known as the BRICS Bank, to join as its ninth member. The BRICS Bank was set up in 2015 by the world's biggest developing economies, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Altogether, those nations account for 25% of global GDP. The addition of Saudi Arabia, the world's second largest oil producer, would strengthen the bank's funding options. That's as its founding shareholder, Russia, struggles under the impact of sanctions amid its war in Ukraine. On a visit to China this week, Russia's prime minister said one of the bank's main goals is to help reduce the impact of Western sanctions. 65 million infections per week. That's what Chinese authorities are bracing for in June, based on top experts' predictions. What's the latest on China's virus situation? And what's the capital, Beijing, doing to prepare? We have the details. Beijing's Municipal Health Commission released its 20th weekly outbreak report of the year last Wednesday. COVID-19 infections topped the list for the fourth consecutive week, with infection cases quadrupling from week 17 of this year to week 20. A citizen in Beijing told NTD that authorities are calling for emergency preparations. Our sub-district office handed out a notice this morning advising us to prepare pandemic prevention supplies in advance. They said it was a guideline by the Municipal Health Commission. A doctor in Beijing said 70 percent of recent fever clinic visitors were COVID-19 patients. Of these, 80% were first-time infections, with reinfection rates also on the rise. Elsewhere in China, doctors echoed those findings. It's true that in the last two weeks we have seen far more COVID-19 patients than before. Most of them were infected for the first time. Our hospitals are seeing a recent rise in reinfections. There was even a bed shortage a few days ago. Compared to the earlier outbreak this year, some patients have noticed different symptoms from the current wave, reportedly caused by the XBB Omicron subvariants. This time, the symptoms include severe fever as well as sore throat. 
I didn't have such a bad fever when I was infected the first time. Others said they have no choice but to go to work despite the infections. That's to make ends meet amid soaring unemployment and an economic downturn. This problem further contributing to virus spread. Australia is looking to revitalize its critical minerals industry. And now Washington is pitching in to help. The two nations have agreed on a new deal called the Climate Critical Minerals and Clean Energy Compact. Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese informed the country's parliament Monday. He explained the deal would aid the processing of critical minerals and maintain a sustainable supply of them. Plus, it would also expand and diversify the nation's clean energy production, including hydrogen, battery technologies and other clean energy products. The pact works by allowing Australian minerals and energy suppliers to be treated as U.S. domestic ones under Washington's Defense Production Act. That investment will then help the Australian companies develop. Over 50 percent of the global lithium supply comes from Australia. The material is critical for making electric car batteries as demand for them rises. That's as much of the world works to go green and find lithium alternatives to dominant producer China. Officials from the U.S. and Australia say a new task force will develop a plan to improve collaboration and development by the end of the year. While a government report shows Australia could achieve over 20 percent of global lithium refining by the year 2027. Hong Kong's judicial independence is making headlines once again. A high court rejecting a request by now-jailed media mogul Jimmy Lai to end his national security trial. His case has become a symbol of Beijing's crackdown on Hong Kong's pro-democracy movement. Let's dive in. Jimmy Lai, the founder of the now-defunct Apple Daily publication, was one of Hong Kong's most prominent critics of the Chinese communist regime. He would face a maximum life in prison if convicted under the Beijing-imposed national security law. In a departure from Hong Kong's common law tradition, the security law allows for a non-jury trial if the case involves what Beijing deems state secrets. In Lai's case, instead of a jury, his trial will be heard by three judges, handpicked by city leaders. Lai's lawyers had earlier filed a motion to halt the trial, citing a lack of transparency. But the court ruled on Monday that accusation of potential bias had no merit and greenlit the proceedings. They're set to begin in September. Lai was jailed last December for over five years in a separate fraud case. The national security law came into force in Hong Kong three years ago after months of protests calling for political freedom. Beijing has been using the legislation to silence dissidents, criminalizing supposed acts of secession, subversion, terrorism, and foreign collusion. Western governments, including Washington, have expressed concern about Lai's plight. They condemned the security law for eroding the protection of human rights and fundamental freedoms. Coming up, what's the biggest concern surrounding China's cyber attack on Guam? And what's China doing to compete with Elon Musk's Starlink? We hear from Rick Fisher, senior fellow at the International Assessment and Strategy Center, for his take in just a minute here on China in Focus.
Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. What's at stake now, given China's cyber attack on critical infrastructure on Guam? And how is China competing with Elon Musk's Starlink? We spoke to Rick Fisher, senior fellow at the International Assessment and Strategy Center, for his take. Rick Fisher, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Tiffany, thanks for having me again. Recently, there's a lot of talk about this cyber attack by Chinese state-backed hackers on critical infrastructure in the U.S., including on Guam. And some are warning that this could be intended for Taiwan. So how should we read this? Very seriously. Uh, Guam is probably the most important uh, American military outpost in the Pacific after our uh, facilities in Japan uh, and would be in use immediately in the event of a Chinese attack against Taiwan, Japan, or a war, uh, a North Korean war against South Korea. Uh, uh, Chinese uh, cyber attacks against Guam have probably been going on for a long time, uh, although this most recent one is has been reported because it uh, involves uh, the commercial uh, software of the mega software company uh, Microsoft. But uh, all of this is, is very grave. And retired Colonel John Mills actually was saying how during the Cold War, the Soviet Union had missiles stationed around the world, and now China has malware. So how would China use this malware in the sense of an actual war? Well, the malware is, is something that can be deployed uh, years in advance. Uh, the, the challenge is to keep it hidden. Uh, to uh, uh, structure it so that it is very difficult for the adversary to detect it until it's too late. Uh, so, indeed, just like uh, in the old days, uh, uh, nations would mine uh, the ports of the enemy and uh, disrupt their shipping, threaten uh, their economic survival. Uh, today, uh, countries deploy malware. Uh, uh, just like uh, mines that are intended to uh, explode uh, uh, in, in conjunction with other uh, military uh, uh, activities. And it seems one way of potentially protecting against that in terms of Ukraine, we saw Starlink being deployed and there was talks of that being used in Taiwan too. What is China doing in terms of countering Starlink? Do they have their own version? China, yes, indeed, has its own version of Starlink that it is developing. Uh, another 30 to 40,000 uh, uh, mega satellite constellation, just like uh, Starlink. Uh, China wants to compete with Starlink. Uh, it, it wants to take business away from Starlink and use Starlink as uh, a uh, space-borne uh, uh, or use its Starlink as a space-borne uh, internet, if you will, to uh, link its growing uh, network of authoritarian states, especially those that subscribe to its uh, Belt and Road Initiative. But China is also developing the weapons to take down uh, uh, the American Starlink. Uh, China is developing uh, laser weapons for low Earth orbit, uh, more and more powerful laser weapons that are based on Earth, and uh, also we read in Chinese publications about satellites that are equipped with uh, large numbers of uh, artificially intelligence uh, driven 
small satellites that are that are interceptors that would uh, descend and uh, take out uh, Starlink satellites. And Rick, you mentioned how China could deploy this their version of Starlink to maybe the Belt and Road Initiative countries. How would that linking help China? Is it helping them control information, or how would that work? The existence of a second internet in space is a major threat to the hegemonistic ambitions of the Chinese Communist Party. So, in in addition to taking down uh, the SpaceX Starlink second internet in space, China wants to develop its own second internet, its own Starlink, to ensure that it has the ability to connect and control its uh, network of authoritarian states. Uh, and if internet connections on Earth are somehow denied to China, it can still have those connections by its own uh, Chinese Starlink, if you will. And how would the U.S. or freedom-loving countries counter this if that were to play out around the world? Well, the first uh, line of defense would be simply to not allow that service uh, within your borders, to uh, uh, basically uh, uh, have an embargo against the Chinese Starlink. Uh, to the degree that, yes, uh, Starlink would be denied to Chinese citizens, uh, then the United States has the obligation to lead a global campaign to uh, deny uh, and embargo, if you will, contain the Chinese Starlink. But in addition, in as much as China is working on active defenses against Starlink, the ability to actually take down or, or diminish or damage actual Starlink satellites, in order to deter China, it is incumbent upon the United States and some of its space-borne allies to develop similar capabilities that are able to take down hundreds, if not thousands, of Chinese Starlink satellites as, as China seeks to do with the American Starlink network. Rick Fisher, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.